Hello and welcome to Sanford Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today, I am excited to welcome Adam Gordon-Bell. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited. Great. Can you please just go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Adam. So I work at Earthly, which I'm sure we'll discuss. And I'm a developer. I'm working in developer relations now. Fairly new change for me. I also have a podcast about software development. And I live in Canada, in Peterborough. So yeah, maybe we can start from kind of the last thing and your last position. So you are working at Earthly. So can you give us an intro? What's this for the folks that don't know? Yeah, sure. So maybe I'll start with the story. So Vlad, who founded Earthly, he worked at Google. And internally, they have this build tool there called Blaze, which has been open sourced as Bazel. And I guess if you work at Google or if you have a really large mono repo, it's a great tool chain for building software, but it only really works in kind of a specific context where you know you have like a team that support it, you're using languages that it supports, you have a mono repo with things vendored. It doesn't necessarily work great outside of this context, but the ideas behind it are really great. And so Vlad wanted to come up with a way to build a tool like that that's supported just like normal development. The way that Bazel works is it uses like a file system sandbox to ensure that you don't have any dependencies that are undeclared between each build step to make the builds reproducible. So Vlad saw that, you know, containers exist and are also a way of sandboxing things. So he built Earthly. So Earthly is a build tool. It's kind of like a combination between a make file and Docker files. So you put targets and you describe the build steps within them and you use it to build your software in a way that is reproducible, parallel, et cetera. And for people who would you know, just get started with Earthly, what would be some trigger points that they might experience in their workflow, in their needs? And you would suggest, okay, this seems to be a point in time where you might want to check out Earthly. Yeah, so one would be like, you want to be able to make changes to your build or you are making changes to your build, but it's kind of a slow process because you have to change something in the build script and then like send it off and have it run and see what's wrong and kind of iterate. That can be sometimes slow. So Earthly, you could try to take it on then because Earthly allows you to abstract all those tasks into something you can run locally because it's containerized. Another common point we see is like you have a team that uses more than one language. So you might have a great tool, you know, if you're doing Node.js stuff, you can use NPM or whatever to build things. But once you need to work across more than one language and there's a more than one language tool, you might want a way to say like, start up the backend service and then, you know, in JavaScript, run some tests against it. And you're kind of crossing across these tools. So one way you can deal with that is just like writing a bash script or a make file. And Earthly is another way. So that's a way we see a lot of people enter. They want to have this way to do things across more than one tool, or they want to be able to do something locally that previously they could only do you know, in CI or on some staging environment. That's often when people join us. Another one is just uh, multi-stage Docker files. They can get really gnarly. Like It works as a format, but it's very... Like, there's lots of froms and you have to kind of trace it. So a lot of people just come to Earthly because it's a really nice way to make a multi-stage Docker build. One of the use cases that I have seen for you know Docker containers that developers seem to be happy about, at least in some parts of history, is like Docker Compose when it's going to you know 
boot a couple of containers for you and essentially connect them over DNS and then there is that experience. So does Oracle work in conjunction with Docker Compose or it actually has its own way of solving that problem? Yeah, it's a great question. So Earthly supports Docker Compose files. So you can use Earthly to build a Docker container, but you can also use Docker containers within Earthly and Docker Compose files as well. So the way I've seen this happen is I was helping the Phoenix project, which is an Elixir web framework, work on their CI process. In the CI process for Phoenix, they want to make calls that access a database. And it's kind of an integration test. And they want to test across several databases. So they have a Docker Compose that starts up like Postgres, SQL Server, and MySQL. And then you know they build their code, and then they run tests again. So within Earthly, you kind of just specify those as dependencies. And then you say, like, Docker run, you give the compose file. And then within that context, you run your tests. And then when you exit that scope, then the Docker Compose shuts down. So that's how you could use it with a Docker Compose. We've just released the CICD for MonoRepos ebook. It's for software engineers who are evaluating or want to optimize the MonoRepo way of software development. You'll learn how to build a MonoRepo-first CI-CD pipeline and have a functional microservice application built, tested, and deployed from a MonoRepo. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com backslash resources backslash monorepo CI-CD. When you started introducing Earthly, you mentioned Bazel. So I heard a lot of people being, you know, very interested in Bazel and, uh, you know, exploring how it can help them. But then I also heard a lot of stories that, you know, we started and we saw, you know, the learning curve is, you know, kind of huge or steep, or they kind of found that they need to invest a lot of time in maintaining all that building infrastructure. So you did to some extent, but can you compare Earthly to Bazel. Sure. I want to caveat this by saying like, I'm not an expert on Bazel, but I know that like our origin story is based around Bazel. So, you know, Bazel does what it does very well, which is build monorepos in a distributed way with lots of caching. And to do that, it makes certain trade-offs. Like the support for the language that you want to build needs to be baked into the tool. So right now it supports the languages that were commonly used at Google, you know, like Python and Java, if you're using another tool, then, you know, if it's not built in support for it, then you're going to have a hard time. Also, you need to declare inputs and outputs to these tools, and that can be kind of verbose. And yeah, I mean, it came out of a place where they had people who worked full time on making builds really great, right? So it's designed to be an amazing build tool for a place where you can have dedicated people to work on and understand the tool. So the ramp up to my understanding can be a challenge. So Earthly is a tool designed kind of to have some of the same principles, but to approach it very differently. So with Earthly, you can use whatever tool you're currently using. If you use NPM to build things, you can use that within Earthly. So we took this kind of what we call like approachability first, like, can we make it so you get some of the benefits of a big tool like that, but that it's more approachable for everyday people. Another thing is we support 
like poly repos. So you can build across more than one repo. You pull down your dependencies from this Git repository, build that, and then pull down from here, build that. And it doesn't all have to be in one big mono repo. If someone want to try Earthly today, what do you suggest as some first steps to getting to know Earthly? So go to earthly.dev and there's a bit of a landing page that will kind of explain some of the steps. You can download it. Like I'm on a Mac, so I just do brew install Earthly. And then you can maybe take a look at some of the examples. And it's a pretty simple concept. I think it's a little hard to describe in audio, but I think if you take a look at it, you'll understand how you could build up some of your build steps in this fashion. I haven't used it, but yeah, I saw a video on the LinkedIn page that you made. And yeah, it's a short video. And when you watch it, it becomes pretty much clear <laughs> how it works. And it is very, very approachable. Yeah, Earthly is a CLI tool that you can use. And you mentioned that you approached some of the tools, like the very classic tools from the Unix ecosystem, or you reapproach them with a fresh eye. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So in this role, I'm helping people build software. And Earthly is very much based around like kind of a developer first kind of approach to building things that's based in the command line and, you know, not a big YAML file, but something more declarative. And so it made me start to think about like other command line tools that are like classically used and sometimes get used in builds. And there's tools that are really useful, but I never really knew how to use. So the first one was JQ. So JQ, I had used it. If you're not familiar with it, it's a command line tool for dealing with JavaScript. And I had mainly used it to pretty print like JSON documents, but it does a lot of other things. And I always knew that it did. I would run into some problem. It calls some REST service and I get something back, but I need to change the format a little bit. I would always just have to go to Stack Overflow and figure out, you know, what's the exact command. I'd end up just copying, pasting something from Stack Overflow. So I spent the time trying to understand how JQ works and writing it down in a way that would explain it to other people. Because I had this thought that, you know, I've been using JQ for years, but I don't know how it works. Like if I spent half a day learning it, like think of the dividends that would pay. And so I did that. So the article is called, I think it's called Introducing JQ. But yeah, learn how to use your tools. I had a similar experience with Auk as well. Yeah. And I mentioned when we were talking prior to the episode that I have like many regrets in the early days when I had much more time, when I learned something, you know, to some shallow extent. So I mentioned I had that Auk and Sad book, you know, from O'Reilly with those two animals with big eyes. And I read, uh, you know, first two, three chapters and kind of felt, okay, I get the idea. I'm not going to go all the way through because, you know, it's kind of questionable how useful it will be. But then I end up limping, you know, for the next 10 years of my career because I haven't spent the time. And I had the similar experiences with some other tools, which are not my primary tools. So for instance, Bash. So I know bits here and there. But there are actually, you know, a couple of, you know, syntactic things and generally constructs that I just don't know. And kind of as my career progressed and I started helping other developers, you know, develop and, and move on, I started noticing that also in other people. So I'm not the only one which, you know, maybe leaves the last two or three chapters or just skim through them and, you know, 
just want to move over. So I ended up suggesting to people to, you know, pick those like very essential tools that will not age or are going to age very, very well and invest. And as you have put nicely, you know, and get dividends over time. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, I'm not sure what other tools there are, but I bet you there's more like Bash. Bash scripts are a great one. And yeah, the one that came to me was awk. So people, when I wrote the JQ article, somebody was like, this is really great. I feel like JQ is like awk. Like I never quite knew how to use it. And I was like, yeah, I have no idea how to use it. I've copied some things like once in a while. So yeah, I spent the time there as well. And awk is an even simpler tool in some ways than JQ. It processes things like per line and it's a predecessor to Perl. You know, spending the time to learn that, I think it's already paid dividends. And I think you hit the nail on the head by saying it's something to do with tools that are a bit older. I think because there's less risk. Like if something's still around 10 years later, there's less risk it's going to go away. Like the longer something's around, the more, more likely it is it'll still be around like 10 years after now. Yeah, and these tools are actually around for, I don't know, like a couple of decades. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the longer something is around, the, you know, safer bet, safer investment it is. Yeah. I mean, in V as a team, we had a similar situation with Postgres. So, kind of everyone knows what they taught them in the university, and there are those limits and borders on the high level. But then as you're running something in production, you have to get into the details of the concrete database. And kind of most of us scratch the service. And then we had one guy who's diving super deep, you know, to understand all the possible, you know, combinations of logs and types of logs and all that. And yeah, it's like a relatively small investment, <laughs> what you gain. And, you know, you have that deep understanding of what's going on and you are not guessing, okay, maybe it's that log, which, you know, hasn't got released or it's this and that. Yeah, totally. I never thought of that databases. Yeah, Postgres for sure. Like it's been around and it's only more and more popular. Like, yeah, spend the time, get to know it. Yeah, we will be gone in the Postgres for sure. We will be here. Yeah. <laughs> We've just released the CICD for Mono Repos ebook. It's for software engineers who are evaluating or want to optimize the Mono Repo way of software development. You'll learn how to build a monorepo-first CI-CD pipeline and have a functional microservice application built, tested, and deployed from a monorepo. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com backslash resources backslash monorepo dash CI-CD. One other thing that you mentioned in the intro that you're doing, and I find it super amazing how you do it with a lot of care. And then it's very interesting to listen to is your podcast. Can you maybe go back? What are the origins? And also maybe introduce the format. And I have to say that guests are amazing. Yeah. So my podcast is called Co-Recursive. I started doing podcasts like as a guest host for a couple of other podcast, one of which is Software Engineering Radio, which is by the IEEE. And they kind of have a training process, I guess, for how you do the podcast. And it's very much like you do a lot of preparation ahead of time and you pick like a topic, like, I don't know, builds, for instance, and you kind of make sure you get all the facts and answers out of people. So I did that for some time. And I also started my own podcast kind of in parallel to it. 
And I was talking to people a lot about functional programming. I was a Scala programmer at the time. And yeah, just asking people like, you know, what is this? What is that? But I felt over time, like the parts of the podcast I really liked were more about people's experiences. Like instead of being like, you know, explaining what X is, like telling me like, you know, when did you first encounter X? What was that like? What happened? What were you wearing? Uh, (laughs) Just really like getting somebody's personal story. So I've just kind of doubled down on that. I really like it. You know, like I recall being a software developer and being at launch and like something had blown up yesterday and somebody had got called in and then they kind of tell you the story like, oh, you know, the web server was down and then somebody's like, oh, did you look, was it this? And like, oh, I looked, it wasn't that. The drama, I guess, of somebody like recounting these stories instead of explaining to you like, oh, what is a web server? So I've just been doubling down on this concept. So yeah, now my podcast is very story focused. The most recent episode was about this guy, Paul Ludis, and he was known as the Oregon Hermit. He built software for the Apple II from like a cabin he built himself in the woods. It's like a very strange story. It's super interesting. And yeah, there's things to learn from people's stories. Like his story about how he worked remotely in the woods, I think has some things to teach us about like how to work remotely, but also like, you know, he thinks that developers have lost touch with kind of product and the business side like he wants developers to be more like fully rounded people but it's hard to understand that until you hear his story about how he built this software so i don't know if that answers your question but yeah i like to focus on the experience the experiences of software development yeah i checked a few episodes and one thing was fascinating for me it's a another episode about the SQLite and what are the origins of it and how it's actually connected to the warship or it's a battleship Yeah, (laughs) story. Very inspiring, I guess, also could be for folks who are just maybe starting in the area. And it's maybe kind of with the tools. Also, there is like that generational difference. There are people who started coding, you know, in 80s. And their view on all the current tools and trends and everything is, you know, quite different from the people who maybe, you know, just started a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And that's why I also found interesting about your guests, because a couple of folks that I checked out are really, you know, let's say seniors. Yeah, (laughs) like seniors, like both in terms of title and in terms of seniors discounts at uh, a restaurant. Yeah. And I find that inspiring, you know. The vast majority of people that I've worked with were maybe a decade older than me. That's one of the reasons that it's more interesting to me to talk with folks who have seen industry progress over a couple of decades. Yeah, it's interesting how things change really fast, but some things don't change that much. Like, I mean, you were talking about learning how Bash works. I mean, that's not new, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I would say someone learned the bash all the way in early 90s and covered Postgres in early 90s or, you know, just SQL in depth, that guy or girl is just fine even today. So these pieces that are like layers on the top are relatively thin. Yeah, it's a tricky thing. You know, at some point I remember learning, I think, Angular 1, and I don't think it was ever useful for me, like besides the couple months when I used Angular 1, because I don't know, it turned over very quickly. Yeah, so you got to get beneath that surface level and beneath the hot new thing and look to the things that have stood the test of time. 
yeah, yeah. There is that, you know, piece of mesh and library. It's called Envoy. It's made by Matt Klein. He was one of the guests on the podcast. He was one of the first people that I talked to who, you know, very strongly expressed that he is a late adopter. He wants to be late adopter. He explained a number of benefits of that. I mean, as I, you know, finished university, started working and all that, you're always looking at the news and what's the hot new thing, hot new thing, hot new thing. And vast majority of people are kind of like in that, looking what's next. And I think there are also huge benefits in looking in the other way. Maybe you need to wait for the first 10 of years of your career that you run through a couple of things. And then at that point, find what are those stable components of your career that you're going to invest and you will be safe building software, which is, you know, super stable and is going to stand the test of time. Yeah. Matt is one of the investors into Earthly. He's a very talented developer for certain. I heard somebody else say, who was also a slow adopter, that sometimes they have to learn less than people who are fast adopters. Like, I forget who this was, but they were saying like, they missed Ruby. Like everybody was excited about Ruby and they were like, oh, we'll wait. You know, I'll wait on this. I'll wait on this. And then Ruby fell out of popularity. And he's like, oh, I didn't have to learn that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's one component. Yeah, people love Ruby, so I don't want to diss it. But, you know, sometimes these things fade. If you move slow enough, you don't even have to learn them. Yeah, yeah. And it's also that in the first days, there's less documentation, the stability, the quality of everything is, you know, lower, there are less people, and there are the kind of exciting times to some extent, but they also tend to be quite rough. Yeah. So yeah, there is a benefit of that also. There's another side where, like, you could make a name for yourself as a developer by going to the newest language, and there's probably packages missing. And you can develop these packages, right? You could whatever, you're the best at making like a hash map or a dictionary. And each new language needs, you know, some sort of concurrent hash map, and you could bring that to them. So there's downsides, I guess, to being slow at adopting things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked through these couple of approaches, how we approach career and, you know, pick the tools and how in-depth do you want to go. Can you maybe share your experiences when you were building Earthly? You are still building it. What are some of the challenges that you faced? You know, Earthly is being built in the open. It's on GitHub. One of the challenges we have is what features we add. So Earthly is like a syntax for describing a build. It's, it's kind of like a small programming language. And people ask for features. But if you just add every feature, you kind of, you're not kind of thinking through what the end state will be and you can get to a weird place. So we spent a lot of time thinking about this. For instance, somebody asked for this feature, like using host mounts, that would make builds more performant, at least in their case, but it could hurt the reproducibility. Like it would be possible to have something not build the same on everybody's environment. So like, should we add that? So we came up with this list of things that we value in the product. And we try to basically consider whether a feature helps these values or kind of hinders them. So if our number one value was performance, then that feature that hurts reproducibility but does help performance, like we would certainly add it. But actually we value reproducibility above speed. So we did not put that feature in. And so we came up with this list. We're actually gonna be writing a blog post 
about it. And this idea came from Brian Cantrell, who said that like every software platform has like things they value more than others. We value both speed and reproducibility. But the thing is, you need to decide what's more important to you. And that order actually ends up being a lot about what your programming language, what your product becomes. One thing we value a lot is versatility. So we want people to be able to bring whatever programming language, whatever build things they're using and use it within Earthly. So we put that as our very top value. Bazel that we were discussing earlier, like it puts reproducibility at the very top. Like the build should always be like byte for byte perfect. So that means they can't have this versatility. They can't just allow people to use any given build tool. They need to kind of gate that, right? And so the way you stack these software values really informs what your product becomes. We're writing this up, but we pick versatility as our top goal. So we want people to bring whatever they want and use it to build things. And then we picked approachability as our next. So builds are often a thing where you don't spend all day looking at it. It's just like once in a while, you need to go and change the build. So for us, that means it's important that the build should be straightforward to understand. Like if there's like a feature that's super powerful, but you know, it takes a bit to follow what it does. Like we would rather not include that because we know that, you know, people don't spend their whole days in builds. It's like a once in a while thing. So it needs to be easy to understand at first blush. That's a very long way of saying the biggest challenge we face is how to rank these trade-offs between the values that features kind of embody in your product. And I think we figured it out. I mean, thanks to Brian Cantrell with this idea that you need to put the values of your product first. That's very interesting. We have been facing, you know, backlogs, which would take, you know, a century to execute. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. And it's a real struggle. <laughs> there are a lot of great ideas, but there is a limited amount of time, but you can end up somewhere then you really didn't want to go. And you just look around and you see that maybe three years ago, you took a wrong street. <laughs> yeah. And like, if I look at the Semaphore website, like it talks a lot about speed, right? Speed's important in CI. So like, I would guess that like, that one's really high for you guys, right? Like if there's something that would slow things down, but whatever other benefits, like forget about it. Like speed is, <laughs> is where we're focused. Yeah. 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 I mean, slow build, piece people off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you're right. And we didn't regret it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with Earthly in your podcast. It's a really amazing podcast. So go and check it out. Thank you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, I guess, Adam Gordon Bell, or yeah, in your podcast player, Adam Gordon Bell. And Earthly is on GitHub or at earthly.dev. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs>